Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Good morning. Welcome to Sunday Take. It is November 21st, 2021. The week before Thanksgiving and a time of year where we should be thankful and thoughtful. But it is just crazy how news continues to drive kind of a mood of this country, a mood of the state on polar issues, polarizing issues and issues that we just takes a while to unpack. You know, it's um, it's been interesting as we think back to the week we just had that the governor was in Finland and the UK on a trade mission. And uh, we have a lot of chatter about whether or not we'll have a special session. But at the end of the day, uh, people are anxious. Poll numbers show from Morning Consult that while Governor Walls is Approval is at 55%, his job approval. People are very concerned about costs and inflation in our economy. Thanksgiving dinner might cost $25 more for the average family this year. Gas prices are up as it gets chillier. Energy costs from natural gas to other costs are going to go up. Fuel prices going up. And it's the first time for many that they've lived in inflation. And I, I was a wee lad when we last had this kind of inflation, so I've never lived in it. I don't know how long it's going to last. It creates more uncertainty, and it builds more emotion for everyday people, normal Minnesotans, and it weaves into our politics. So... You know, later this hour, I'm going to talk to Pete Stauber about what Congress could do. What, he had a town hall on Friday talking about supply chain. You know, he, he has a little bit of a partisan edge to him, but, but he raises some really good points about pharmaceuticals and energy and the Chinese. We're going to catch up with Doug Loon. He's with the Minnesota Chamber of Commerce, and they released their business benchmark this week. For seven years, they've tracked the economy. How do we compare to our peer states? What are our opportunities? Where are our challenges? What is the COVID recession meant? You know, Minnesota had a workforce shortage before the pandemic. We had challenges. We had to maximize our workforce production. And now we're still struggling to figure these things out. 
And then we're going to start next with Julie Blaha. She's the auditor of the state of Minnesota. She's wrapping up her first term. She has said she's going to run for re-election. What has she done? Does she deserve re-election and more? So grab a warm cup of coffee on this chilly Sunday morning. Because Sunday Take is up next on News Talk 830 WCCO. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. Good morning. Welcome back to Sunday Take. I'm Blois Olson, your host here on News Talk 830 WCCO. This is Sunday Take. The first cup of coffee this week is with State Auditor Julie Blaha. She announced she's going to run for re-election. She's in her first term. And I just thought that, you know, we're gearing up for 2022. All the state constitutional offices are on the ballot. Um, and the one state constitutional office that doesn't always get a lot of attention is the state auditor's office. But yet, when there is a need for an audit of public uh, interest or public entities, it's probably a good thing to know what the state auditor does. So state auditor, Julie Blaha, thanks for joining me this morning. Oh, it's so great to be here. I'm really excited to launch our re-election campaign. So, I mean, uh, you know, this is a little nerdy political history for Minnesota, but the state auditor's office, people have wanted to eliminate it. The Let's just say that there's sometimes been some tension between you and municipalities or counties. When you came into office, what was your goal in trying to, you know, get the office in a place that you felt, you know, would would start to create your own legacy? Well, the first thing that we had to do was rebuild a lot of relationships. So the very first thing I did when I got in office is we got in the Jeep and started going out to talk to people that were at odds with the office, frankly. Our first calls, our first meetings were with um, entities that were involved in a lawsuit 
with our office. Uh, they were the people who had had a, a, a re-audit, you know, and, yep. and just walked out the, right out there and and just started talking to people. And, you know, it was a very Minnesota situation. It was it was, <laughs> it was polite, but a little strange, you know, but people did welcome us in because, you know, at the end of the day, what's tremendous about working with local government, which really is the primary focus of my office, is protecting the work that's going on in local government, uh, is that nobody in local government has the luxury of an endless fight. You know, they don't get right. to get stuck at like at the federal level or at the state level, because if local government gets stuck, uh, none of us get out of our driveways literally in the winter. Uh, our kids don't get to school. The hospital shuts. I mean, you can't you have to figure it out. Uh, so just like Minnesotans in a blizzard, you figure it out, you know, and, and as a result, people are much more open to having conversations, rebuilding relationships, and just getting things done. So, so that was the first step was really just reconnecting and seeing what people needed and how we could uh, turn the corner on those relationships. And because people, again, had to get things done, uh, we made a lot of progress uh, in that direction. Uh, as you think about that, now what you've learned in three years in office, um, Minnesota, you know, Minnesota, for the most part, has good government at the local level. We have, I mean, our city mm-hmm. council members in small communities aren't making millions of dollars to help their neighbors plow their lawn, plow their, plow their roads and mow their lawns. Um, what about the dynamic in a pandemic where local government was relied upon? They had to make decisions. Are there any things that, you know, Minnesotans should think about going forward with local government services, their local elected officials that you've seen uh, as you've gotten to know these folks over the last three years? Well, I think that the last two years have shown just how vital and effective local government can be. If we think about what local governments had to do, they had to to turn the corner, turn on a dime to move resources quickly to yep. try to hold back all the problems. So they had to move them. They had to move resources quickly, and they had to do it from their basements with their kids yelling in the background. Right. Pretty impressive. It's really impressive. What I, I hope that we take away from this was just how effective local control can be, and that's really what we're analyzing right now as we are uh, looking at the CARES Act and the American Recovery Recovery Plan funding as we do the audits on those is what we're seeing is what works for local control. And and I hope the federal government sees that, that when you get resources to people closest to the problem, you get the best solutions. You get this really custom to it. And and what we've seen for the most part is that uh, people made good spending decisions. Now, to be fair, it was partly because there was way more to spend. uh, Right. Way more to spend on than you had money to spend. So it's if anyone spent on something that wasn't allowed, you could say, well, you need to shift that to the 15 other things, uh, additional costs that you had this time. Uh, And uh, but I think what we're learning is for the first time, local governments uh, did more sharing where their job was to move funds to local organizations, whether that be businesses or charities or other kinds of groups. And so I think we have opportunities to grow there. Uh, you know, try do do people know who in their community can best step in in, in in an emergency? And and so I think that's our big opportunity going forward. It's not just how we spend the money, but how do you share the money with other partners in your community effectively? And that's really where we're we're focusing our efforts right now. All right, last question. 
uh, here on Sunday Take. I'm talking to Julie Blaha. She's the state auditor. If you are reelected, what would you do in the next term that maybe you couldn't get done in your first term? Well, we have just, again, just starting to turn the corner. So now we can start really rebuilding. You know, in fact, uh, we have picked up uh, some oversight of federal funds at the state spends about billion dollars in that region. We've gotten funding to start building a school team to rebuild an area of oversight that has really withered over the last two decades. In yeah. fact, these these changes are the first rebuilding of lost work in 18 years for our office. Wow. Um, you know, Minnesotans expect that when local government makes a promise to them yep. to solve a problem, that the resources are going to follow that. And that's our job. So our job is going to be to expand that look so Minnesotans can trust that when they come to a solution with their neighbors, that solution actually becomes real. And so that's, that's, it's, it's very simple, but because it's so simple and so important, it's really exciting work. So I can't wait for the next four years. Sounds good. I know we'll talk a lot during the election and know that here on WCCO, there's not a lot of places, but we will have a debate for the auditor's race on WCCO. Thank you so much. <laughs> good. State Auditor Julie Blaha, thanks for joining me on Sunday Tech. You have a when we come back, Doug Loon, President and CEO of the Minnesota Chamber of Commerce on the 2021 Business Benchmarks. Where's our economy now and where is it headed? I'm Blois Olson on News Talk 830 WCCO. Welcome back to Sunday Take. Blois Olson here on News Talk 830 WCCO. Joining me for the second cup of coffee this morning is Doug Loon. Doug is the President and CEO of the Minnesota Chamber of Commerce. Uh, I would say probably the most on the ground uh, business organization in the state, understanding from small to large, some of the business opportunities and challenges in the state. And this week they released to their business benchmark report. It's very telling about where we're at, where we're headed as a state and our economy. So, Doug, thanks for joining me this morning. Boyce, great to be with you. I'm on my third cup of coffee, by the way. So I'm fully wired up. It's pretty good. Yeah. Um, so you guys have done the business benchmarks for a while at the chamber. Um, we're 13th in the nation in job growth. We're 35th in GDP. That's up from 36th in 2019. We like rankings here in Minnesota. Overall, what are the rankings that you and your members and you want the people of Minnesota, the elected officials of Minnesota to really pay the most attention to as we as we look towards the future of our state's economy? Well, this is, as you noted, this is actually our seventh year doing this report. And we feel the report is, is important in a number of ways. It informs the business community. And yes, it informs elected officials who are helping to set the policies of the state and the regulators that follow through on many of those policies. And we know that uh, a lot of these surveys, if you will, or rankings come out uh, sporadically during the year, but nobody looks through them thoroughly and says, these are the best of the best rankings across what we consider the pillars of our state's economy. So everything from infrastructure investments to cost of being in business in Minnesota to the tax and regulatory climate. We are looking at the full breadth, if you will, of what the uh, economic landscape looks like. And then we do it each year. We try to stick with the same benchmarks, if you will, to determine whether or not we're improving, uh, doing the same, or we're headed in the wrong direction. And so it's a it's an honest assessment, and we're proud of this work. It, it has stood the test of the time, several seven years, 
And it has told us some really important things uh, that Minnesota's economy is very resilient. You know, we, we didn't go into the, I'll call it the pandemic recession as deep as other states, but we're not coming out as fast as we would normally expect from an economic downturn. Usually we, we have this pattern. We go, don't go in as deep. In other words, we don't have as a deep a trough. Yep. We bounce out quicker and we actually excel faster. We're not quite seeing the same here. And part of it is because when we were, we were watching pre-pandemic, our GDP, our measurement of our state's overall economy was not producing at the rate we feel our economic potential is. And so we went in with actually a slowing economy. We're coming out with not as fast a recovery as we'd like to see. So then you have to ask yourself, what's standing in our way? And there are a number of things that the report speaks to. Um, One of those is labor. Um, We had labor challenges before the pandemic recession. Uh, The whole country, but Minnesota is having their own labor challenges before. You and I have talked about this offline many times is we have to be able to not just recruit. We have to tap kind of and maximize the potential of our younger uh, growing diversity of workforce. Is that one of, is that labor one of those kind of drags on us coming out of this uh, pandemic recession faster? Uh, absolutely. We're seeing uh, actually a pretty significant gap between a job of jobs that are available and job, those that are seeking jobs. So, and we knew this when we went into the pandemic and it is definitely a hindrance to strong economic growth now. And you, you know, you'll go, talk to businesses and think, yep, we're looking for workers, can't find them, not sure we're going to be able to find them. We're looking to potentially grow elsewhere. That's something we don't want to hear. Uh, the other thing is we're hearing a lot of uh, is supply chain challenges. And I think there's a there's a indirect or direct link between workforce shortages and supply chain challenges. And by the way, this isn't unique to Minnesota. This is national or global even. And so these are causing uh, economies, including ours, to sputter, if you will, and we're concerned that this has going to have a longer term impact on our state. So as a state, what can we do to attract and retain uh, talent, uh, workers? Because uh, yep. without, without workers, you can't have a growing economy. Right. And without consumers, you cannot have a growing economy. So, you know, as we think about Minnesota's demographic reality, we are an aging population. Uh, but we also have increasing number of folks that are, that are leaving the workforce and that are changing their professional direction. I'll call it the uh, workforce realignment. And that's an interesting dynamic. And I think it's, a, it's definitely a COVID-related reality. Um, but it's also, we, one of the key measurements that we look at is called labor force participation rate. Right. And this is a key indicator. It's an, it's an indicator that we had for a very many long number of years had very successful um, high labor force participation rates. And this is a key indicator for economies that shows we have a hardworking, engaged population in the workforce. And we're actually seeing a decline in that. And it's a troubling yeah. decline. It means that individuals are leaving the workforce, aren't even being counted as unemployed. They're not being counted. And when you see that um, decline in labor force participation, there's a, there's a, that's a troubling trend. And we want to make sure we reverse it. So what can we do? We got to make sure that people are motivated to get to work, right? Yep. We got to make sure that they have good wages and benefits. We got to make sure that we have a welcoming workforce, meaning that if individuals enter the workforce, they want to stay in the workforce. Mm-hmm. And if we're attracting population from other states or from around the globe, we got to again be a welcoming economy as employers and as employees to make sure that we have 
the workforce that we need. And that means we got to think about how do we make sure we're, we have and welcome that diverse workforce? How do we make sure that it's an inclusive workforce? So there's some of the things that, that the chamber's working on. Yep. And we want to make sure that we do it in a way that's thoughtful and has a long eye on the economy. And at the same time, very focused on workforce strategies at the community level as well. My guest is Doug Loon. He's the president and CEO of the Minnesota Chamber, kind of the most on the ground from small business to large business, business organization in the state. Doug, as we start to wrap up here, um, we know taxes have gone down, but we know like power costs are going up, workers' comp, healthcare continues to rise. One of the big issues in, in, when you talk about workforce participation, one of the big issues is childcare, especially in greater Minnesota. How is there, is there some solutions on childcare that, because um, if somebody doesn't have childcare, they can't go to work. Right. And that, you know, that may keep it's, them out of the workforce. Boys, it's definitely a contributing factor. We hear it everywhere. It's not yeah. a situation in uh, the Twin Cities, any different than a situation in, say, in Albert Lee or Wilmer. Okay. Um, this is this is a challenge. And I look at it from two perspectives. Is this a resource challenge? Right. Or is this a um, basically a, a business model challenge? What's going on in the marketplace right. that, that the demand can't be met, right? Yeah. If the demand can't be met, this directly relates back to what I was saying earlier about the realignment and the labor force participation. If an individual has can't find available and, and affordable for their own perspective childcare, they are looking, they're likely to leave the workforce, and that's not good for the overall economy. So this is a challenge that policymakers need to look at. The marketplace needs to look at. There needs to be some realignment, some th- rethinking of how we support that industry. Um, and if there's a regulatory strategy or a financial strategy, all, all ideas are on the table. And this is something that really transcends, I think, traditional partisan lines as well. And I know that there's a lot of consideration at the federal level as well as the state level as we think about how to deploy resources that, that, that is available uh, to make sure that we meet this need of our workforce. Last point, I think we all can be proud of, but we need more is entrepreneurship. We have a good survivorship rate after five years. We have the best in the country of businesses that start, that survive at 55%. But we need more entrepreneurship because we haven't had as many business started. Is that um, because I'm also hearing a lot of new businesses coming out of the pandemic. Do you think that that might be one of the indicators that next year we see a little more growth coming out of a pandemic since who is going to start a new business in 2020? Yeah, I think so. We have seen folks, again, this realignment, if you will, of, mm-hmm. of the workforce, uh, entrepreneurship pick up again, potentially, but we still rank really low on the number of st- business startups in the country. But here's the, here's the other piece of it. After five years, we rank number one right now. So small this startup survival rate in Minnesota is very strong. What does that mean? Well, it means that when individuals start a business, it's a serious attempt and they and they can pull together the pieces, whether it be capital or employment or workforce, uh, to bring that idea to market and be successful. That is a very strong indicator of a successful economy that nurtures uh, entrepreneurship and, and business startups, but we got to get them started in order right. to have them survive after five years. And one thing about Minnesota is if you look around our economy, and I do this every day, um, what are we seeing for trends, right? And we know right. our long trend has been start small businesses, grow them to medium-sized businesses, and they become the big Fortune 500, Fortune 1000 companies that are here today. They start and grow here 
at a yes. high, high rate. Absolutely. Uh, we, we are not great at importing businesses. And so therefore we have to have a supply chain of, of entrepreneurs and startup businesses to make sure we got our future cemented in a way that we expect it to be here for Minnesota. Doug Loon's been our guest next up on Sunday take representative Pete Stauber. He held a round table about supply chain. Uh, what we've learned in the pandemic, what Congress might do about it, uh, and how Asia plays in. Pete Stauber will be our guest next on Sunday Take here on News Talk 830 WCCO. Welcome back to Sunday Take. Very timely conversation coming up. After talking to Doug Loon about Minnesota's economy, labor issues, supply chain issues, happy to have with me now Congressman Pete Stauber, who uh, just on Friday, held an event uh, about supply chain uh, and a town hall meeting. And, you know, I will give you credit. I think when we recorded the podcast last time at the beginning of the pandemic, you talked about supply chain. You talked about China and pharmaceuticals. So I'll give you this, Congressman. You've been talking about supply chain longer than we've been experiencing all these bottlenecks. Um, where where do you think we sit today? Tell me about your town hall that you had on Friday. Well, I think we sit today. We're in crisis right now, uh, and uh, and much much of it is to do uh, because of the policies of this administration. And so, right now, um, <clears throat> we can talk about supply chain uh, uh, crisis a- across uh, America. So, uh, on Friday, I had uh, industry leaders uh, at a roundtable in Duluth. Um, and every single industry from the auto industry uh, to the trucking industry to the rental industry uh, to the port authorities, they, they all talk about <clears throat> the supply chains. They can't get, uh, you know, certain material to, uh, you know, be a, uh, come forth within their manufacturing process. They're short on chips. Uh, the labor shortage, the participation rate and there's a number of issues uh, that uh, that are part of this, uh, you know, this crisis, and and we know there are some opportunities for us, boys. Uh, and one of the opportunities uh, that is before us right now is allowing the Great Lakes to be a part, uh, a bigger part of the shipping industry uh, w- with reference to the uh, containers. Okay. Uh, have, you know, we have to make sure the uh, St. Lawrence Seaway is 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 ready to take them on and then yep. getting through the yep. Sioux Locks and right up to the, the Port of Duluth to be able to alleviate some of that pressure. Now, there's logistics that have to go with it, yeah. such as making sure they're Customs and Border Patrol and, and uh, that the dredging is there, that the containers can have a place to sit prior to getting them on the ships. And then you have to have an interstate uh, and the trucks ready to de- deliver those commodities across uh, the country. So it was a really healthy discussion about uh, supply chain shortages, crisis, and workforce. Uh, yeah, that we yeah. have to we have to really boys really understand uh, the, the positive uh, comments about the dignity of work. This the fabric of this nation was built on hard work, uh, and so we have to get back to that. We can't continuously disincentivize people to go from going to work, and uh, some of the policies coming out of this administration are doing just that. So, Congressman, you, you keep citing this administration. So I just want to I just want to kind of narrow in on that because uh, you and I have had good frank conversations before. This a lot of this supply chain was has nothing to do with this administration or even the last administration. But is there are there specifics that happened recently? Because I think you know, frankly, it's been building for a long time on multiple things, and we can talk about government supports on workforce and disincentives to work and those kinds of things. 
But are there specific things the Biden administration has or hasn't done in the last you know, 11 months they've been in office that could alleviate some of this emergency that we seem to be feeling right now? Yeah, a couple things. And one of them is the, is the uh, vaccine mandates. We heard today uh, from the American Trucking Association, up to 37% of the drivers are going to leave the force if yeah. they're forced to take this mandate. So we're already uh, 80,000 truck drivers short across uh, America. And, yep. and and this is going to uh, uh, force these uh, p- professional truckers out of the industry, which is going to make the problem worse. Uh, okay. So we can't do that. That's it. And that's not only in, in, in the trucking industry, that's in the healthcare field, yes. the law enforcement field and, 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 and beyond. So that's one of them. And then the, the other is, is look what we did uh, uh, the last 11 months. We paid people more to stay home that uh, additional federal uh, unemployment yep. insurance. We paid them more to stay home than they, than they could have uh, uh, had they gone to work. We can't do that. We have to allow uh, work to be the fabric of this country. And like I said uh, moments ago, the dignity of work is part of who we are. So those are some of the things, those are just the low-hanging fruit that this administration uh, you know, needs to turn around. <clears throat> and then we have to make sure that, that all jobs matter. And uh, I've said this, before you can have a better job, you first have to have a job. And so uh, there, there's not a job that should be beneath any of us uh, as we as we uh, become and in, in, in get employed. Uh, we heard today that uh, from one of the employers that said uh, an applicant came in and said, I need a job. My benefits ran out. Uh, so he only came to this employee employer because of his benefits ran out. Yeah, uh, that that mentality we need to change. Well, and I think, you know, uh, my guest is Pete Stauber, congressman from the 8th Congressional District. We're talking about supply chain, labor market, uh, how we can kind of alleviate this. Congressman, I, I don't doubt, and I have, I, I, I have said this out loud, that, that some of the benefits, there are some people who are choosing not to work. Those have been cut off the last couple of months, even here in Minnesota. But but. I think one of the things about supply chain labor markets is that it's complex, right? These are complex issues. And when you have complex issues, there's rarely simple answers. Are there some longer term policies, even if they are bipartisan or could be bipartisan, that you think as a country in Congress, we need to start working on so that we not just have a plan in the near term, but we start to build a plan for the long term in this global economy. Uh, the answer is absolutely. And we're seeing that we talk about uh, bringing manufacturing back to this country and not relying on foreign nations. Uh, look at the chip shortage, and not only in the automobile industry, but other industries. We should be making those chips here on American soil using American ingenuity, technology, and workforce. So we don't have to, we're not beholden to adversarial nations, for example, on the chip shortages. Yep. We need to, uh, Blois, we need to reshore these uh, manufacturing jobs uh, and these industrial jobs back here in this country. Uh, we have to learn from COVID. And one of the things we, uh, we must learn is we cannot uh, ever again uh, rely on foreign adversarial countries uh, for our, our, our critical needs. And Blois, that, that goes to pharmaceuticals. 
if 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 the country of China stops selling us their pharmaceuticals or their uh, pharmaceutical ingredients, we are going to be in a dangerous area in this country. We need to bring pharmaceuticals back here, and that's why one of my pieces of legislation that says any drugs that the uh, that the, the United States government purchases must be manufactured here uh, in the United States of America, where we control the supply chain. Uh, rather than worry and 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 uh, work with a foreign adversarial nation that does not have our best interests at heart, make no doubt about that. Business groups uh, traditionally and Republicans uh, historically have been the advocates for the global economy and trade, et cetera. Some of those dynamics are shifting, and uh, we've seen that the last few years. Uh, so, but so let's just think about this again. These are complex issues. So if we bring all pharmaceutical manufacturing back to the U.S. for drugs that the U.S. buys, what if costs go up? Well, I mean, what do we do then? Because, you know, then we have healthcare costs rising. And I don't know the answer, Congressman. I'm just I'm thinking of you. It's like you put one issue aside, but then it creates a new issue. And that that sometimes is why um, these issues don't get solved quickly. Well, I think that I would much rather have those uh, pharmaceuticals manufactured in America where we know we have them, where we know we have FDA uh, oversight on a regular basis. How many times do you think FDA representatives go over to China and uh, and review those companies and their policies to make sure their ingredients are proper? I have no idea. Very few, okay. uh, not very often. So what we need to do is uh, is bring it back, and and that's that's the win win. Bring it back, secure the supply chain dependency, and we employ uh, people here uh, in our country. Got it, Congressman. The culture in D.C. I have to ask every time. I ask every member of Congress. You uh, you've been part of the Problem Solvers Caucus. The rhetoric people see in the headlines, uh, sometimes maybe I, I, I create it, other people create it. But as you know, I like to have these earnest conversations. What are the conversations of things that can get done or that Democrats and Republicans could work together on that people maybe don't hear as much about that maybe you're working on? Well, you know, there's there's a number of issues. And and uh, I will tell you, um, under this administration thus far, um, the major bills has have been extremely partisan and extremely divisive. I am the only Minnesotan, for example, on the Transportation and Infrastructure Committee. Yep. Not one, not one of those bills, not one of those ideas came across our committee. We have to get to back to regular order so the so committees can have uh, an input and and allow it to be bipartisan. Uh, we cannot have a speaker uh, with with the power that she is wielding right now just put. Uh, legislation on the floor without the minority party having any input. In fact, even sometimes the majority party not having any. We have to, we have to get back to regular order and allow committee work to be meaningful. And then we can bring bipartisan, um, legislation to the American people. And that is not happening right now. And it just shows you that, uh, that this Democratic party and this leadership, they are not ready to lead. Got it. Congressman Stauber, thanks for joining me on Sunday Take. If you're listening to WCCO at nine o'clock on Sundays, we're talking about Minnesota politics. We have the leaders. Give us a follow at Blois Olson on Twitter or search the Sunday Take on WCCORadio.com. Thanks, and we'll have a great week. 
T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did.